0: On this episode of This is Game Boy, we blast our way to the sun. Um, So, yeah, welcome to episode one of This is Game Boy. it's me, Eat Blooded Candy with uh, Mo or Mula, as he likes to be called. Hello there. In episode zero, uh, we talked about you know the goal of the podcast, how we're going to try and run it, you know, at least to start in a way, obviously, upgrades down the line. Um, this episode, we are finally going to focus on a video game. Um, it's a very good game, uh, probably overlooked uh, since this was so early in the Game Boy lifecycle. And honestly, a lot of people consider this game to be exceptionally hard. Uh, of course, we're talking about Solar Striker. So before we dive into into this game, Mo, what have you been up to?
1: That is a very good question. So I finally started to uh, go back to Portable Pleasure, which is my actual Game Boy System challenge because I put it on hold for a while to do some other stuff. Um, Yeah, this podcast, like other stuff for Monochrome City. Um, But I finally picked uh, my actual challenge back up again. So I did a few sports games this week or the past two weeks. And uh, it has been a lot of fun because a lot of these are pretty sure to get through. But there was one <laughs> turn in my sight, uh, which you picked, EVC, <laughs> which uh, is called Track Meet, uh, which is uh, a game probably a lot of people have heard about. It's, it's just one of those track and field games where you just have to mash your way through the entire game. And uh, beating the last guy has been a real problem for me. Um, If anybody (laughs) checked out my streams or the videos of it, um, I had a lot of problems with that last guy because... We don't really know because my uh, mashing is actually really good, but either it was a technical problem or something like that, but there was no way of me to beat the guy, so it took me quite some time. Um, I did an attempt offline, which worked out really good for me. Um, Sadly, I wasn't (laughs) recording or anything, so I had to redo it and eventually... With another offline attempt, I managed to beat the last guy, but yeah, that, that was not a lot of fun. And I don't know if it was due to uh, the intense mashing I had to do for hours for that game, or it was um, like related to my work because I, I work at a desk job all day, so I'm constantly using a computer and such. But um, the past three or four days, I've had like an inflammation of my wrist and my index finger. So it's, it's been pretty tough to do actually something um, like work itself or, or actually gaming because, yeah, my, my hand hurt a lot. So, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been up to. Um, but, yeah, what's Shmup with you?
0: Um, not much, I guess. Uh, I picked back uh, my, my Game Boy Challenge, and uh, I played through all of the Olympic and track and field games back to back to back, times six crazy just crazy my hands hurt for like three days straight um (laughs) every track and field game olympic game there is on the game boy requires just some intense degree of mashing that i don't even know if i could do on the actual game boy like for me track meet wasn't that hard but like Olympic Summer Games like I had a, you have to mash both A and B at the same time and like my fingers don't work like that I use both my hands to mash like that game is <laughs> that game is insane um, I remember watching you play Track Me and you had a towel because like it was just so you know the mashing is so much in that game
1: Yeah, uh, it was also like 32 degrees during that period that I was playing that game. Um, Celsius, that is. I'm sorry, I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit. It was ridiculously warm. It was very humid. So like after five minutes of mashing, I started sweating like crazy. So I really, really needed that towel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, other than that, though, aside from, from Game Boy Adventure... Um, A lot of my time has gone towards Handheld Heroes, um, which is a handheld marathon coming in the 2nd or 3rd week of July, whenever the 13th is. Um, So I've been doing the artwork for that, trying to get layouts finalized for that. Um, A few of us went through and made a game list, so now we have the accepted games, and another person is making the uh, schedule for it as we speak. So hopefully all that will be... Coming to a close soon. I've been kind of, sort of, prepping for my run at Summer Games Done Quick. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm running Kirby's Dream Land Extra Mode category, which is the hardest difficulty of the game um, on the last day of Summer Games Done Quick. So I'm going to be exhausted for that run. Uh, outside of that, picked up, re-picked up Horror Friday, I guess. Um, every Friday for a while. I would do a horror game, but I took a I took like a six month hiatus from it just because like every horror game I play is just not that fun. So uh, picked that re- picked that back up recently. Played a few games called Selena and Year Walk, both are pretty decent games. They really and one's free and one's super cheap on Steam. So yeah, other than that, not much. Uh, a lot of Game Boy related things, Monochrome City stuff, um, retro achievement things, getting that all set up and whatnot
1: yeah we we all have been putting a lot of work into like anything that has to do with the monochrome city team actually like um i've actually did not have much time for streaming myself the last few weeks so um yeah i'm I'm glad most of the things are set up because we did have to do a lot of things In preparation for this podcast as well, we had to set up SoundCloud. We had to set up Stitcher, I believe, or or what's it called? Um, The link to iTunes and stuff like that. Um, We'll see how it goes. It it all depends on how this podcast gets picked up by the audience, of course. But uh, there might be a lot of things to do for us for this podcast uh, coming after this episode, for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Oh, I guess there's one more thing. I made a leaderboard for Mr. Chin's Gourmet Paradise. And I had the record for about eight hours. So
1: <laughs> that exactly sounds like anything that I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot of Game Boy games that never got uh, speed ran before, uh, which I try to pick up just to either include them in Tiny Ten or just have a leaderboard up there, and my record gets beaten like in yeah the same day actually. So yeah, that that really sounds familiar. Yeah, it's not it's
0: not a good game but yeah someone else decided not to have a life
1: either so (laughs) indeed (laughs) anyways uh, i think that just uh, wraps it up for what we have been doing i think it's time to just blast into this bit of a hidden gem called solar struggle
0: The game, uh, this game came out in early 1990. Well, the, the Game Boy came out in 1989, if I remember right. And it was packaged with yeah. Tetris in the western side of everything. Um, so this game came out in early 1990. So I think this was like the first, if not one of the first games to be released of the year. Um, released in Japan First, um, on January 26th ish, and then February in the United States, so a month later we get the game. Then
1: you guys didn't get it till like September.
0: Like, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, I think the Game Boy itself didn't come out like a few months after um, when it came out in the US and Japan either. So it's, uh, it's pretty normal for uh, stuff to come out almost a year actually after uh, it got released anywhere else so at least at the start like um, for later games they all kind of got released during a three-month period but definitely at the start it was a little bit slower
0: well the big issue i think with the retro market at least back then was that like there was no standardized like release date like a game would come out in japan and like no one in the west would know about it for Months, you know, and then all of a like someone's like, "Oh, this game is out. This game is cool. We should." It would probably sell in the Western states. Let's translate it and move it over here. So, like, six months later, we get a game that was already out in Japan. So, like, I feel like back then, like, just game releases in general were just so sporadic, and they just weren't on like a typical release schedule, like what we have in today's day and age. Like things come out like on a, every uh, on a Tuesday or the middle of the month or end of the month. Like there's like a set schedule for games to come out, usually in a quarter. But, like, back then it was just like, yep, here's a game on January 26th, maybe the next game will be out January 27th, January 28th. Like, there just wasn't a set release schedule, which made things really cumbersome when it came to, like, game releases in America, in Japan, Europe. Heck, even, like, retro games, like, the stores, in, the, in at least in America, like, if... One store, say Target, for example, didn't have a retro game, like, didn't have Bionic Commando for NES. If you, like, walk across the street to Toys R Us, they would have Bionic Commando. Like, some stores only carried certain retro games versus others, too. Like, it was just a bizarre market back then.
1: Yeah, it's it, it always been a problem as well because... um it's weird to say, but even for these early games that didn't really need a translation because they didn't have any text or anything, um, even then translation was a big issue because um, they had to do the manuals and the box cover and stuff like that. And um, that's I think that's also a big reason why it took them several months uh, in between them. Uh, to release a game in different regions. Um, Japan and the US have always been closer together of course at the start but Europe was always a bigger problem because they had to translate to French, they had to translate to German and any other languages in between like Spanish and stuff like that. Um, so, so I think that's where the big gap came from um, nowadays they usually take care of all that stuff before a game actually gets released and then they can have a closer release they together
0: yeah going back to like the box art stuff um it's kind of insane like if you look at the box art, like they're typically they're very different japan and america and sometimes even all three regions japan america and europe will have very different box arts. or like it'll be the same released game but with a different title Bamsey, we're back a dinosaur story baby t-rex the exact same game different sprites like it's kind of kind of nuts how all of that works but like if you looked at like the translation between like the cover the cover art and the manuals between the Japanese and U.S. and European like it seems like a lot of times the Japanese game covers are a lot more in-depth they have a lot more detail to them like they have a lot more going on onto the thing because like that's how I'm gonna I'm gonna probably bite my tongue on this but like I feel like that's how the Japanese culture is like they like vibrant they like story driven drawings versus you know the US and Europe where like if you look at our covers like some of them are just simple and boring and plain like I'll use Avenging Spirit as an example the Avenging Spirit cover in Europe is an adorable ghost on the front cover it's a blue background and it says Avenging Spirit Come over to America. The Avenging Spirit cover is this gangster guy who looks nothing like anything in the game at all shooting a Tommy gun. And I'm like, I don't understand why this is a part of the cover. Another example is um, um, Alien vs. Predator. Like the Alien vs. Predator games in Japan, like that cover, there's so much going on in that cover. There's so much detail. And then you go over to the American and U.S. one and it's just like, a picture of like an alien head or two alien heads like staring at each other, like they're, they're very different in terms of that as well. I don't know if that's because like they're catered to two different audiences or because they couldn't you know get the base artwork from Japan, so they had to recreate it over here in the U.S. or Europe to like make the new cover. I don't know what the whole history is behind that, but it's very interesting to see the two different covers for the exact same game come alive.
1: Yeah, the, the only example that comes to mind immediately when talking about cover art is maybe the morose Mission cover art. Um, when you look at the European release and maybe the US release, I'm not pretty sure. But it's like a very standard um, Western cartoonist style, which is absolutely nothing to do with the game because the game is about a little ninja guy who's shooting ninja stars all over the place and when you look at the cover art of the uh, well at least the European release that I know of, uh, it's, it's just a guy in a t-shirt and jeans wearing his head backwards and uh, some kind of monster behind him <laughs> and it's all like um, with with dots everything, it, it's, it's just so strange that they translate even a cover art um that way for another audience and like it, it it does not reflect the game at all anymore and japan is mostly um better in doing that so you know you usually know what's uh, what's coming up what are you playing and stuff like that but yeah europe and america always tend to go for like a more familiar look which maybe has nothing to do with the game at all but just to sell it more it's 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 really strange how they do that
0: yeah well thankfully if the cover art for solar striker it is a bit different but both cover arts do reflect the point of this game um the japanese version of the game you know is obviously the cover is a lot more detailed. like this this ship's detail is just phenomenal, like the sha- the shadowing, just the texture of the metal of the ship, the explosions around the ship as it's going like warp speed through space. Um just shows like, oh okay, I'm probably gonna be in a spaceship shooting things. And then we jump over to the US and the US and European cover. Um it's very it's still a very similar outlook. Um instead of warp speeding through space you're kind of like blasting your way through like this fiery vortex and there, although the shading is there, it's not as, the shading and detail just isn't as in-depth as it is in a Japanese cover, but you can tell that you're in a ship or, you know, a space shuttle or whatever it is you wanted to be, and you're blasting your way through a bunch of aliens on the cover. Like, you understand what you're about to get into from both covers, it's just one is a lot more artistic in detail versus
1: the other in this case. Indeed, that is usually the case with these cover arts. We might be addressing some of them later in in future episodes, where there's a lot of difference. But you can clearly see the uh, uh, the detail that Japanese artists puts uh, put in their cover art uh, compared to uh, European or American cover art artists. Um, it's it's a totally different style. And yes, in this case, it does. Uh, yeah, like to pick it the same kind of idea, but um, for us, it's a lot more vibrant and colorful, whereas for Japanese, it's a lot more dark. So it's it's kind of more eerie that you're on a mission into space. So it's, it's pretty weird.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty interesting cover. But like diving more into this, like this was published by Nintendo, um, but it was developed. It was kind of a mashup development between uh, R and D one, which is the research and development team for Nintendo, and Minakuchi Engineering. And for those who don't know who Minakuchi is, Minakuchi Engineering is responsible for four of the five <laughs> Mega Man Game Boy games. Um, they didn't do number two, I believe it was.
1: Definitely not. No, which is uh, you can you can definitely see that <laughs> that uh, that the second one was from another outsourced uh, developer. Um, and it really shows because they kind of did not know what Mega Man was while they were developing it. So um, it's yeah, it's it's kind of wonky. It's still a pretty good game casually, I must say. Like I always liked it, but you can definitely see that uh, Minakuchi Engineering knew what they were doing with the IP and Mega Man World, as it's called in Japan. One. 3, 4, and 5 um, are definitely the better games in the bunch compared to in the second one.
0: Yeah. Um, I think they worked on like what? They worked on like a Mega Man Extreme game too, didn't they? Was it 3 or was it all 3? I can't remember. Um, they did Bionic Commando. I want to say they did another Mega Man game too, but I can't remember.
1: Yeah, they actually did a lot of games for Capcom. So um, that, that that's the... Minakuchi Engineering was definitely used a lot um, for Capcom games that needed to be ported. Like Bionic Commando, we're talking about the Game Boy version of the uh, of the game, uh, which is an amazing game on its own. It's, it's a really good port. It has its own quirks um, compared to the NES version. Definitely worth checking out. But they also worked on titles like, uh, for instance, Wily Wars, which was on uh, Sega. Um, which is not the best Mega Man game in the bunch, of course, but it, it's still pretty good. And they also worked on the Mega Man X three version of uh, the the SNES, I think, um, not the PS version, um, but they definitely worked on the Super Nintendo version. So they they kind of had a good, um, yeah, like like um, how do you call it? Um, help me out here. Plethora variety. Yeah, they, they just worked a lot with Capcom on games that had to be ported or made uh, from the bottom up, so they kind of knew what they were doing with their IPs, for sure. Yeah, and then... Um, I'm going to butcher
0: this name, and I apologize in advance. Tor- Toru Osada? Oseda? Um, he was the composer um, who typically worked closely with uh, Minakuchi Engineering. Uh, he did a lot of smaller projects uh probably more catered to handheld than anything else um but uh he did he was the music and sound effects for Solar Striker uh music and sound effects for Kicks if you've ever played that and he was actually the possibly um the sound effects engineer and the music engineer for Mega Man Dr. Wily's Revenge on the Game Boy um I don't know how much credit is attributed to him with Mega Man Mega Man 1 on Game Boy. Um there's also a few others that um I don't know if the games were ever released or if like because back in back in the day like cr- people are getting credited in retro games was almost a rarity depending on the company. Um but he's also he's also uh credited with uh an MSX2 game called Mycen Ik- Ikoku Ken um yeah can Ken- ketsuhin. I don't even know what that game is but he was the music director of it so um that's a really tough part about some of these older games too is trying to figure out like what are what people get credited for um along the way because a lot of people just didn't document what they did back then like capcom was all right they may have not accredited in the actual game but they, they credited somewhere in files that are now online Konami did an uh, all right job. But there are other companies that just like, here's the end screen, no credits, go online to look about the game. No one's credited for the game at all. So like sometimes like eh, it's hard to figure out like who the composer was. And if you can't find the composer, sometimes it's hard to figure out like their whole like their whole gamography of like what they've done.
1: Yeah, especially for uh, Turo Asada here. Um, there's actually not that much information about him at all, so that there's a few games he has been listed. Uh, to have worked on um, but but actually besides that we cannot really find any more information about him so I think he just did a few titles for Game Boy together with Minakuchi Engineering but uh, besides that I don't think he has done anything else or he has just never been credited properly in other games
0: yeah but uh, diving more into the actual Solo Striker game itself the plot is Interesting, to say the least, of where you look up the plot of the game. Um, On the wiki page and in the actual manual, you'll see two pretty big um, separations between the plot. Probably more likely since this game came out in Japan first. Um, It was a translation issue. Um, So the plot of this whole thing is you control a piloting person who whose objective is to save the world from aliens who want to destroy the human race. Um, it's your most generic story of any human versus alien type game. Um, but you're you're in a fighter jet and you're scrolling through a vertical area trying to destroy all the, all the aliens coming in and then at the end of stages, like those mini bosses and those bosses at the end of them. Um, Mo, do you want to talk about? I don't know if you have the information available to you either, but do you want to talk about possibly the difference between the Japanese and US and EU release, like in terms of like the plot and story?
1: Yeah, it's it's not really um, like sure if, if there's actually... A problem with the translation in its own um, with the plot but if you look at the wiki entry it's a completely different story than you can actually find in at least the European and the US manual um, but in its all it's always about um, planet Earth finding a Uh, an alien planet um, and they get attacked and they only have one more hope to actually save their own race and then they uh, actually make the solar striker which is the ship name um, and they send that ship off to actually fight the aliens and they always have to destroy the inner core of the alien planet which is some kind of alien computer thingy um, and whenever that gets destroyed, they will be free. But um, I, I don't have the actual text here with me, but if you just read through them, they're they're really completely different. So it's even weird if it's only just a translation issue. Um, I don't know if that actually is the problem. Um, I think they just made up their own story for the wiki page maybe. Um, I cannot actually read the Japanese manual so i'm not sure if the actual manual for the us and the eu version are um, similar or not Um, if anybody actually does know how to read japanese you can always let us know Um, i'm very interested in that but but maybe just the wiki page has a story made up by somebody just making the wiki page that has nothing to do with the game at all because it's really really different
0: yeah, another thing to like take note of if we're gonna uh, reference the manual too is that the manual for this game. I'm taking a look at it now, is a little unique. Um, I've played my fair share of shoot 'em ups already, just because of this challenge. Um, and this this manual goes through every single enemy that you'll encounter, how many points they're worth, and like hints on how to attack them. Um, like the the manual kind of holds your hand through a lot of this game already. Like I never really noticed that until now. Um, it tells you like how the power-up system works as it should. Um, like power-ups is you get you get a power-up, you know, you have a double shot, but you need to get like two more power-ups to get a triple shot and two more power-ups to get what is called the turbo missiles or these big shots that come out of your ship. Um, so it's really interesting to see how all that comes up. Um, it tells you how many points each power-up is worth. Um, the How many stages there are like it's kind of neat on how much like it tells you in advance like if you just read the manual Like what to expect with this game a lot of times the manuals Just tell you like hey, here's the levels. Here's about each level. Here's the lore Here's the controls here are the enemies But we're not going to tell you how to fight them or how much they're worth this go at it type deal
1: Yeah, it's strange. Like um, I've looked through a few Game Boy manuals during my challenge as well, um, just because there's a lot of games that you really have no idea how they work unless you look it up. And some of them are really detailed, like literally being a guide to the game um solar striker is kind of one of those games but there are definitely a few that are just like you know you press a and you jump and you press b and you attack and that's about everything they will say about it and it's it's really cool to see those really detailed um manuals um especially if you compare it to games right now um (laughs) there's <laughs> There are just no manuals anymore. Um, it's all in-game tutorials, if even. Um, so it's really cool if you get your hands on a manual that, that works like a tiny guide for an entire game. And actually a really short game, especially on Game Boy. Um, but it's... Always nice to see that they put so much effort into that little tiny book that just comes with your game uh, compared to what they do now, where they just skip it completely.
0: Yeah, it's really unfortunate because that was one of the things I remember growing up and getting the game and like looking at the back of the box and like, oh my god, you, you know, these pictures look great. Oh, I gotta save humankind. And you open up the box and pull up the manual. Like, the first thing you did, at least for me as a kid, was I pulled out the manual and I went through the manual to see what I was getting into. And I just got so hyped after like flipping through like three pages of seeing like screenshots of the game and enemies of the game, just made me more excited to play a game. Um, unfortunately, like that's just not there anymore. Like people now have like these release trailers, like these huge, like grandiose, you know, CG trailers of the game now and huge conferences for these games. And it's like, it's fun and all. I can get pretty excited about it, but I'd just rather have a manual in my hand again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, as I said, most of the new releases do not have any manual at all anymore, and I'm really glad to see that a lot of the indie game developers are getting their chance to, even if it's only limited, have a physical release of their games, and I've been buying a few of them, like I got uh, Wonderboy, The Dragon's Trap, I got Binding of Isaac on Switch and stuff like that, I got Stardew uh, Valley, Uh, and they always come with a manual, and it's just so nice to open that box and just see like oh there's a booklet in it that I can read through even if it only takes five minutes but it just bumps you up to play the game and even gives you hints on how to play the game and it's something that is very much missing in any new releases and it's kind of sad to see that like the entire gaming industry has um come to this right now that um they just skip over a manual completely which kind of like you know the artists that ever uh, always made those manuals um in the past are basically out of a job now so it's really sad to see that
0: yeah i mean all is not lost with it like the game covers are a lot better now and they're standardized across the regions. That's one plus, I guess. But uh, yeah, I guess diving into like the general reception of this game, you know, in general is that like this game was reviewed pretty well from most people that, that played it or have beaten it. Um, I would say the biggest drawback to this game is how short it is for me in a way.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. It's only like six stages, of course, um, which is not a lot. But for a standard schmup it's usually around six stages, maybe 10 uh, for the longer ones. But I think it's pretty standard to have like this amount of stages. So, but And you always have to remember, this is one of the earliest games that ever came on Game Boy. People did not really know how to um, make sure they put um as many <laughs> possible things into a system without uh overusing the actual storage they had for these games so i think they they still did a pretty good job nonetheless
0: yeah i still think the game overall was was a very good game that I, I would say when i say short i mean yeah, there's six levels which is pretty standard but like each level was it was really short and they they tried to like prolong it with like the mini boss fights starting in what was it like stage four or five or whatever it was, like they tried to prolong it a little bit through there. But like the stages were just so short that I don't I don't know like playing like Gradius and Life Force and games like that on the NES. I guess like I was spoiled from the NES moving to to Game Boy that I expected a bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I would say the other thing too is that. Even though this was really early in the Game Boy lifecycle, like it was very simple as well, which I personally like simple because I'm old. But like <laughs> as a kid, like I wanted I wanted smart bombs, I wanted I wanted shields, I wanted invincibility. All I got was a power up that I could boost up three times to get like the most powerful gun in the game. And if, but if I died like I only lost one power-up level like it was a very simple game which I think helped the game in the long run because people could just jump into it right away without much of a learning curve but again like I said like I think I'm spoiled from playing you know arcade games and NES games where, like all of these like power-up systems like are just more robust you know
1: yeah I under I definitely understand what you're saying um but For me, this is probably the first shmup I've ever played in my life, so I didn't really know much about them. So for me, it was always uh, pretty clear what I had to do, which is great, of course. Um, But yeah, definitely looking back now when I've played a lot of shmups, um, the power-up system is kind of low standard, I guess. Um, There is not much going on in the game itself, um, but that does... um, uh yeah it really does provide you with a very standard shmup where you can start from and that is definitely something i'll be addressing later during this podcast when we're giving our thoughts about the game um so i'll get back to it then but yeah i i I understand what you're saying But um, yeah, I I think it's worked out pretty well for this game, especially for such an early Game Boy release, where maybe a lot of people had also, just like me, never had played a shmup before. Um, I think that was a very good start for for this genre, at least.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from on that. But uh, like you said, we'll give our thoughts next. So we're going to take a short break. Uh, When we come back, we'll give our our opinionated thoughts of the game. I don't know. I might even rate this game. We'll see.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You guys will hear about our thoughts about this game after this nice short break with a song from the actual Solar Striker game. my thoughts
0: on this game and like my history with this game like I never owned this game growing up um, I had plenty of friends that had this game and if if you grew up early 90s like when you like borrowed a game from from a friend you know you borrow it for a day or two but you also like gave them a game of yours to borrow for a day or two type deal um so like I I played solo striker I never beat it as a kid just because like I found it just like I found it really hard because even though your sprites are small for the for the screen real estate that you have on the game boy um my eyesight isn't the greatest to begin with so like i personally had a really hard time seeing things as an adult and playing it on a bigger screen with a super game boy i can see things a lot clearer now but like on that little green screen i as a kid i had a really hard time seeing obstacles to dodge um but like I, I just never beat the game. Like I didn't own the game long enough. I was, I wasn't really into like shoot 'em ups as a kid. Like I'd play Gradius and Life Force, and I guess you can call Guardian Legend a little bit of a schmup. But like I, I played those. But like I wasn't like full on into like oh I must go play every single shoot 'em up in the arcade or, you know, breaking my neck to go play the next best shoot 'em up that comes out for NES or Super NES. Uh, it just wasn't my genre at the time. Um, Moving forward, I guess like if I had to choose, if 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 I never played a shoot 'em up before the NES and and I had to pick a first shoot 'em up to play, I would probably pick Solar Striker just because of how simple the game really is. Um, it's one of those games that you can look at it and be like, oh, there's a power up system, just a straight power system. There's there's one power up to choose from. I don't have to figure out if I want lasers, if I want bullets, if I want ricocheting magnets or you know whatever crazy power-ups there are out there in the world which in the in the schmuck world um it was just like your basic we're in the middle like six types of aliens a power-up system and then you have a boss at each end of the stage like very very simple um it was very it's very forgiving um if you have say the the most beefy power-up if you die you go back down one level like it's whatever um I would say, my biggest grades as and for me, like I had to break this out into two different windows um, I had to break this up as 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 a kid versus as an adult, so like as a kid, I thought this game was hard just because of the green green screen on the game boy and just my poor eyesight in general um but i like I was mentioned earlier, like I was just spoiled in the shoot 'em up genre because of n e s and arcades um so i I expected you know. The universe and instead i got you know an ocean type deal um as an adult i personally think this game is entirely too short um it is six stages but the stages are just to me they're way too short after playing other games out there that came out for the game boy later on like i reflect back on solar striker and i think my my opinion is probably a bit more biased on it now just because of that um The simplicity of it is really nice, but, again, I wish there was at least, like, a smart bomb-type feature to the game. There might be, and I just don't know there is. Um,
1: (laughs) No, there isn't.
0: (laughs) Okay, so, perfect. There isn't a smart bomb feature to the game. Just something, like, if you do get, like, stuck in a way where, like, oh, god, there's a bunch of enemies on the screen, which doesn't really happen till like, stage six. You're just like, oh, I need something to save myself and get a smart bomb out of there type deal, but there just isn't that in the game. But, I mean, the game doesn't have much of a bullet hell to begin with, so... What do
1: you think, Mo? Yeah, like uh, a lot of my thoughts are kind of the same as yours. Um, Just the same as you, I did not grow up really with this game. Um, I just played it a few times over at a friend's house. And I think I beat it um, because it is really not a long game it's not that hard of a game and um, by the time this came out i was only four years old so i'm pretty sure that everybody who plays this game ever does have the ability to get through it even if you do not have any history with shmups uh, or anything like that and that's something that I really really like about this game because um, if I talk to people and they're like you know I'm looking for a, a good shmup but I'm not really into it like I've never really played anything like Radius or um, R-Type or any of those all those bullet hell shoot-em-ups that are out there um, I will always say like you know what just um, it, it may sound stupid but just get a Game Boy out just play solar striker because um, that is really like jokingly said a baby shmup um, it is not too hard when you start a game it only gets quite tough after stage four um, when there's mini-bosses to deal with, when there's a lot more clutter on the screen, and the stage 4 boss is really hard because he actually kinda represents a bullet hell, but still it's it's like 6 bullets are on screen which you can easily dodge if you know the pattern, it's, it's nothing too severe or anything like that. Um, another good thing about this game is when you get hit like you mentioned before you do not lose all your power-ups like for instance in gradius where you have to start from the bottom again you just lose one level up off your uh, current weapon or you you just go back to the previous weapon and you can easily pick it back up again you never feel like you're uh, in a disadvantage uh, when you die and you can always pick the pace back up again as long as you learn the levels and that's another thing about schmups for shmups you really have to learn the levels because the patterns are pretty much always the same um, It Kind of depends on your movement where bullets are gonna go, but like enemies always spawn in the same exact locations. The levels always look the same, even RNG stages with like mazes, like in R type and stuff like that. Once you know the route, you can easily get through them. And these stages in Solar Striker are so short that you can like learn them if you play the game three times in a row or something. So that's that's definitely a good step up. And yeah, like I said, no bullet hell. Like um, most of the projectiles. Else coming your way are very easy to dodge because they're always home into the position you are at when the um, when the enemy actually starts shooting you so it's easy to dodge those uh, maybe not on an actual gameboy screen i do not remember how it looked like on on like the actual monochrome uh, screen it might have been harder to see maybe some bullets even disappeared um, but if you play it on like your TV or something like that with a Super Game Boy or a Super Game Boy 2. It's pretty easy to see where all the bullets are coming from and you have plenty of time to move out of the way. The only enemy in the game that can actually um, really destroy you, um, they start appearing from stage 5, are these like fireballs coming from the top of the screen. Again, they always spawn right on top of you. you. just have to move left or right and you can dodge them um, but but it's uh, kind of strange to see the moment they uh, appear on screen and you've never seen them before but that's the only difficult part about this game I think and um, so yeah I, I think this is a really great game just to get into the genre to start with and move on from there um, one of the one of the sad parts I think about this game is that it's just often gets overlooked Not only because it was such an early Game Boy game, but also because it's super simple. Um, Like EBC said, there's just not much to it. It's just uh, go from point A to point B with uh, a small power-up system. Um, You do not have any other ships. You do not have any power bombs. Nothing like that. You do not have hidden warps to get you faster through levels. It's really straightforward. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people describe this game as being too simplistic. Which might put uh, a lot of people off from checking it out. But I think it's really worth checking out. If not just for that it's a really good starting shmup. Just um, play it for at least the music tracks because they are awesome
0: yeah that's something we didn't really touch on in this game is like the controls and the music and stuff like that like the music in this game is like it's six stages and all six stages are just banger songs like you don't expect much from like an 8-bit chiptune on a Game Boy but like Solo Strikers music is phenomenal like it's really good um, going back to what you were saying about the uh, stage 4 sprite those are called blazers and the only way to to destroy them is to have the max power up, and it, it takes like three to four shots to exactly. kill them. Like yeah. it is insane. Like I, you just move left or right and dodge. I'm like, don't even try to fight them; they're easy to dodge. Um, but the controls, like the controls, are really smooth. Like I, I I've played 181 ish Game Boy games. You've played 260 some, I think now. Exactly. Like, yeah. like. I, I've, I've seen very good controls and I've seen very bad controls and like this game has really good controls like it's responsive the controls are fluid like when you press A like you shoot like things happen when you press buttons versus something like I'm not gonna get flack for this but like Super Mario Land I like Super Mario Land but the controls are slippery to me like the game is really is really like the, the physics and the momentum of that game it kind of like breaks the controls for me a bit um, and I, I honestly think like that kind of deters a little bit from that game, but like solar striker, like the controls, like you're thinking, Oh, shoot them up. Like the controls, you know, are automatically going to be good. That's not true. Um, we'll talk about that probably in a later episode. Um, but like the game, like is the biggest thing with a shoot em up for me is it has to be responsive. Like if you don't have responsive controls in a shoot em up, like that just detracts from the entire game, in my opinion
1: yeah that's that's definitely something to keep in mind with solar striker um, if you ever have played r-type or Gradius or uh, any other schmup, there's usually a speed pickup you can get um, because you usually you start with a very slow ship which makes it really hard to dodge anything and stuff like that it's totally out of the question with this game you just have a standard speed you can dodge anything you want which makes yeah, again, the game a lot more accessible to everybody, and it just feels right. Um, definitely, when you're shooting, you can. I think you can hold down the button in this game, which is also something that doesn't happen very much with uh, yep. with Shmups. Um You can hold down the button to shoot at the maximum speed. You can shoot. You do not have to mash your button just to shoot faster or anything like that. It just works just the way it is. So, and that is really cool about this game.
0: Yeah, I mean, like due to limitations, like this even happens in Mega Man. So, like, I'm comparing Solar Striker to Mega Man now. Is that you can only have <laughs> okay, three okay. bullets? On, th- you can only have three bullets on the screen at once. Think of any Mega Man game that you've played. Can you have more than three bullets on the screen at once? No. I, I can't. No. I can't recall any at all. At least not in the NES and Game Boy era. So, like. In this game, like you can mash A all you want, but you're only gonna get three bullets on the screen. Just, like, just save your thumb, save your index finger, just hold down the A button, you'll shoot at max rate, even if it is only three bullets on the screen at once. You know, if you have an enemy, if you're up close to an enemy, and you know, hold down A, like you'll shoot a bajillion bullets at once. You know, because they're off the screen, that sprite is gone, type deal. So, um, very similar concept to the whole Mega Man thing, where you can only have three, three buster shots on the screen or three whatever shots on the screen at once. But if you're close to an enemy, you can shoot as many times as you can until you know they're dead.
1: Yeah, maybe Minakuchi Engineering was already looking to Mega Man while developing this game. That's actually very interesting to say. I I have not thought about that, um, but yeah,
0: I mean, dive in. I mean, I, if if I were to rate this game, I think I rate this game. I think I gave this game an eight out of ten. Like as much as I complain about the sh- the simplicity and the shortness of the game, like it is a very good game for the beginning of the Game Boy lifespan.
1: Yeah, I'm not one for giving exact ratings to games. Like, if anybody has been following me during my uh, my system challenge, I never give a rating to a game. I just give my opinion about a game. But uh, looking to all the reviews this game got when it came out, and over the years, like, even until this day, it always gets, like, a 6, a 6.5 or something like that, or 65%. I think it deserves more. I think it definitely deserves, like, a 75%. Just because it's... it's such a good starting point for a lot of people. And even if it is simplistic compared to later entries or even early, earlier entries in the shmup genre, I think it's just, it, it just encompasses everything that a shmup should be without overdoing it. So I think it definitely deserves more than a six or a six and a half out of ten.
0: Yeah, I super agree. And other people apparently have agreed with us as well. Um, there was apparently a fan remake of Solar Striker. I personally couldn't get it to work on my computer, and I was very sad that yeah, I couldn't neither, get it to work. Man. Okay. So, like, a few of us tried to make this. We A few of us found this fan remake online, and we're like, oh, the screenshots of this look phenomenal. Like, it was, like, a full, like, 3D rendering, like a 2.5D rendering of Solar Striker just, like, completely redone. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is awesome. And we tried to download it, and we tried to run it, but, like, it just it just didn't work <laughs> like it just never popped up it just never ran it's just like it just didn't work so uh, we were kind of bummed on that i was like oh i really want to play like this remake like it looks really good
1: yeah i think it got released like maybe in 2010 or something or a little later maybe it was made in one of those codes that only work on a like windows what was it back then like seven or something types of deals maybe it has something to do with that but we really cannot make it work not even the online version works for us um, which is sad but it's really cool that somebody looked at this game and was like hey this is really cool i'm gonna try and redo this and uh, with all the recent remakes coming up on switch and whatever or ps4 on steam um, it would be really cool if nintendo themselves would like look back to this game and be like because it it, it was kind of their own project. It is a Nintendo game on its own, which never had a sequel or anything. So it would be nice if we could see a revival of this can you call it a series or one shot? I don't know, but it would be cool if like on Switch there would be a new Solar Striker.
0: Yeah, I mean Solar Striker just you know, like people obviously, you know, want to try make wanna try to do this remake, but like it was also uh It was featured in uh, a Game Master episode, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, like, um, Stage 1 and 2 have the same music, and that track actually got uh, used in the Captain and the Game Master series. Um, If people still remember that series, I don't. It never aired in Europe, um, but I do know what it is. Um, But they used it in uh, the episode The Trouble with Tetris, um, although they altered it a little bit. And um, they used it later again in Season 2 when... um, when uh i don't know which episode it was um let me see if i can find it here um it doesn't stay but it got used twice during the entire run of the captain and the game master series so um you can also see a spacecraft in the series that actually looks a lot like uh, the solar striker japanese cover art so definitely during that period they were kind of trying to market the game a lot so you know it would be really cool if they tried that again.
0: I would love a show like that to come back, even if it's on YouTube exclusively. Like, I would, I would love a show like that to come back. I never like followed it like verbatim, but like, I remember like watching episodes here and there, like throughout. Like, I'd find random episodes while I was in college or university for those of you that call college that. Um, like, I'd randomly watch a few things here and there about it, and like they were they were good. They were dumb, but they were they were good. Um, Much like most, you know, YouTube clips out there. Like, look at Angry Video Game Nerd. Like, he doesn't do much for Game Boy games, but, like, when he does, like, they're dumb, but they're funny, they're entertaining, and they get to the point, like, his Power Rangers review, like, that game is eh. And he got to the point, you know, physically, you know, and emotionally. Um, <laughs> But uh, dive in a little bit more, like, like we talked about in episode zero, like we're not gonna have a huge speed running focus um in this podcast at all. Um if you really want to listen to like a speed running focus podcast, the framesavers is the place to go. Um but in this case, like we'll cover a little bit of solo strikers because um my boy Mo here put some time into the game, get a leaderboard up, um, and just overall like shoot the shoot 'em up genre is I it's a very small community. And when it comes to speedrunning, at least from from my point of view, like I don't see many people like jumping to the jumping to the bit like, oh, I'm gonna go run this shoot 'em up, or oh, I got the world record in this shoot 'em up type deal. You know, like not, I mean that doesn't just like project out from my from my 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 point of view in speedrunning. Um, a lot of times, like these speed runs from shoot 'em ups are either like a one CC loop of the game, or you know try and get the high score. I know there's a community out there that their sole focus is. What is the highest score you, you can obtain with one CC? Um, but these shoot-em-ups are just all about surviving, reducing lag. Uh, depending on the game, like Gradius has a lot of lag to it. Life Force has lag to it. Like Later Game Boy shoot-em-up games will have a ton of lag to them because people try to shove so much into the game. Um, but like most earlier, he made a lead board for this. So I'm going to let him take this part of the whole speed running segment now.
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, definitely the shmup genre is not very much loved in the speedrunning community. It's usually used as a joke because why are you speedrunning an auto scroller? It always goes at the same pace. Why would you even do that? <laughs> um, but yeah, like EBC said, it's kind of all about lag reduction, figuring out uh, very good boss patterns, how to take them down faster and stuff like that um, I've done a few shmups on Gameboy so far because like Schmups get run on different systems, like NES has a lot of Gradius runs, Super, Nintendo has a lot of Gradius runs and stuff like that, so I dived into the Game Boy ones a little bit, so I did R-Type, R-Type 2, I did uh, Battle Unit Zeot, and I did Solar Striker. Um, I put a time down for all of those, most of them got beaten except for R-Type 1, I believe, Um, but it's really fun to see that... um, I just put it out there and people do pick it up immediately. So they start making new strats for bosses and stuff like that. And it's nice to see. But the fun part about running a shmup is that everybody, if they learn the game, which is always kind of easy to do, to be honest. and um, Well, except for like the bullet hell games, which uh, require a lot more of like reaction speed and stuff like that. But the, these easy shmups are really cool to learn and everybody ends up in like the same time at the end and if somebody gets over them it, it's like a big deal so that's that's really cool to see but yeah with solar striker the same thing happened i put a time out there eventually um solar striker actually got used during the first tiny 10 uh, with a lot of people got stuck on for some reason I still don't understand but uh, yeah I I posted my run and the next day uh, Mick JMZ beat my time completely because he got a zero death run so a 1cc run as they call it and he made up uh, boss strategies for all the bosses in the game and it, it was amazing to see so that's that's always fun
0: yeah I think the the record is, what, like 16 minutes or something like that? It's it's actually kind of crazy. Like the game, when I played it casually as an adult, took me about an hour because I kept dying in like stage five and six. So it's, it's always fun to see like someone take the game that you were kind of struggling in and just kind of destroy it a little bit
1: definitely. And if you are interested in any other Game Boy shmups, um, let me list a few of those because a lot of them only came out in Japan, so we never really saw them. But there are a lot of good games out there. So, um, like first off, you got Nemesis, which is actually Gradius, but it got renamed for whatever reason. But um, yeah, so Nemesis is I think a mix of Gradius One and Two, something like that. Yeah, uh, but it it's but it's a really cool game. It did get a sequel called uh, Gradius: The Interstellar Assault. Um, so then then they actually did use a Gradius name. So uh, those two are really good graphic-wise. The gr- um, the second one is amazing. I don't know how they put. Um, those graphics into a Game Boy game, and it looks absolutely amazing. Um, you got the R-Type series on Game Boy, you got R-Type 1 and R-Type 2, which are mixes of 1 and 2, the arcade games. Um, they are kinda slow compared to the, uh, to the arcade games, but they're definitely worth checking out. Um, you got Parodius, which is like the silly Gradius, which is a really hard game on Game Boy. Um, you got Battle Unit Ziad, which isn't typically kind of a shmup, but it is. Uh, but it's super short, got uh, introduced during Tiny 10-7 if anybody picked that up. Really cool game, you can beat it in like 7 minutes, um, you should check that out. But if you want like um, some other Japanese exclusive ones, you got Fibered. Um, I don't know why it's called Fight Birds. It has nothing to do with birds, but I think it's based on some kind of anime. Um, you got Zaz, which is Z A S, that is, which is probably the most expensive game on Game Boy. If you can find a copy under $100, make sure to get it because it's it's absolutely crazy how much that game goes for. It's a really cool one. And then you got Segaia, which is the Game Boy port of Darius Twins, if anybody has heard of that. I have not been able to beat that game. It's absolutely crazy hard. But yeah, those are some of the shmups you should definitely check out.
0: Yeah, speaking of price ranges, um, Solo Strikers, on, on a, a fairly cheap game. Um, I think I picked up my copy of Solo Striker for like two dollars at at a at a garage sale. Um, I think the game typically goes for like loose which means just the card itself like five bucks i think online if you're looking for a complete and copy obviously you're gonna be throwing out some money because everyone threw away those card, those those cardboard boxes and manuals when they get the game so um i think I, I think i think i saw a complete and copy online once upon a time for like i think 50 or 60 bucks i don't know if the price has gone up for that game or not yet but um, the game, I mean, the game loses if you just want the the cart itself to play. Like, it's a pretty cheap game for how the retro market has been going lately.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an easy game to find as well. So, um, you you should probably see it everywhere. So, if you never heard about it, just definitely pick it up and give it a go. Uh, so, yeah, when we come back,
0: um, we'll talk about some community Game Boy events that are that are happening. Um, a trivia question. Catch you on that one, didn't we? And the uh, and, and of course you know the sign off and the else. So when we come back, expect all that stuff.
1: Talk a little bit about the community events that are closely related to Game Boy. Um, Tiny 10. 7 just happened. We are currently in the process of, of course, making Tiny 10 8, but that's something that will come in November, so we will definitely address that. Or even make an episode about it when it comes around. But uh, at the moment, we have the Mega Man 2 Game Boy Tournament still going on. Um, It's happening on Speed Gaming, usually on Channel 2 or Channel 3, I believe. Um, It's something that got well, invented, I shouldn't say, but um, got organized by John Carls. Um, a lot of people have been running it. I don't know, if you been keeping up with the actual um, standings? I don't know if they're already um, done with the first rounds or not. So. I I haven't kept up with the tournament much. Um, I know
0: they're, I would say, they're at least halfway through the tournament by now. Um, I know the speed run of it, though, has been been getting just destroyed by Endy
1: right now though yeah and he's definitely doing a great job, he's improving it a lot and I've seen a lot of PBs during the uh, during the actual tournament which is really cool to see, um, I also have seen a lot of soft locks and I'm always for team soft locks so that's always cool <laughs> yeah that, that has been amazing. Like um, for people who do not know Mega Man 2 Game Boy, there's a lot of uh, places where you can just soft lock the game completely. One of them being during the final fight during a wily second form, and it's always cool if somebody just messes it up a tiny bit and has to redo the entire stage yeah, again. that's that's always fun to see.
0: Yeah, and now with, like, the new screen wraps that were found, you know, in the, uh, I guess, quote-unquote refights when they're not really refights at all, like, if you take a wrong move or forget something, like, you softlock the game and have to restart that stage again, too, which requires you to put on a password and obviously in a race setting slash tournament setting, like, that's a huge waste of time, so...
1: Yeah, and sadly, our uh, teammate Granon Hero, who's also in the tournament, has some uh, had some uh, technical difficulties on his own where his like entire system actually crashed and stuff like that. He's playing on a Famicom with Super Game Boy 2, and either it's due to the heat wave that has been going over Europe for the past few weeks or something else, but his game has been like soft-locking or hard-locking All over the place and it has been it has been definitely a blast to see but yeah if you're interested in that go check out or follow the speed gaming channels and um, they pop up occasionally it's like two or three times a week oh yeah Um, the
0: other event is handheld heroes which is what I'm directly involved in um, as an art and admin person a few of us last year, Atroz, um, who has stolen many world records in the Game Boy community, um, slashfinity, who you probably know through Super Mario Land 2, uh, he ran at HDQ 2018 um, this past this this year, and me, um, probably know who I am by now. Um, we've got together and decided that hey, we should have a marathon for handheld games. Not just exclusively to Game Boy, but like let's give the handheld community some love. Like we have Atari Lynx, we have WonderSwan, we have Game Gear. You know, obviously all the all the all the Nintendo handhelds. Um, so um, this year, we uh, on July thirteenth, I believe that the starting day is. We'll be, we will be launching our second Handheld Heroes Marathon. Um, as of right now, we don't have a schedule out, but we do have a game list available, um, and it's a pretty star-studded list. Let me tell you what, there are some great games this year that you will not want to miss, including Shin-Chan.
1: That is definitely something you do not want to miss.
0: Um, but outside of that, Handheld Heroes... Um, Definitely give tries and Slashfinity, you know, a shout out, a follow, whatever it is that people do nowadays on the internet. Um, they've put in a ton of work into this into this marathon as well, um, from organizing to getting you know a load of people into a Discord and trying to figure out what makes sense. Um, Just like figuring out a method for voting games in, you know, creating a game list, creating a schedule, and then going forth and making sure that we have a place to stream this, aka Speed Gaming, Um, making sure that the hosting and the restream and everything just goes smoothly. Like they've put in, they put a ton of work in. I typically don't stick around too much that weekend because that's my birthday weekend and I usually go out and do something. Um, But I do have a few runs. I will probably be around. For a little bit of the weekend, just to make sure that the actual marathon is running smooth. But uh, give those two a, a, a much bigger shout out than anything else for that for that uh, marathon.
1: Yeah, I'm never really into the well, not the well. Why I'm saying this completely wrong. I'm never in the actual handheld heroes event. Um, because as everybody should know by now, I am not a speedrunner. Um, I, re- I really do not like put uh, too much effort into anything, so it, it's definitely not something for me. Uh, I did do some commentary last year. Maybe for some runs this year, I'll do the same thing. But uh, whenever I will be available, I will certainly be in chat and stuff like that. Because um, last year it was a lot of fun. It was really cool to see all of these games, even outside of my own Game Boy territory. Uh, being run. It was a really great week and just a great chat, a lot of uh, fun to watch everything and to hear the commentators. So, definitely go check that out. You could do some Shack facts with me this year for Shack. I Gen. will not do that. I will not do any <laughs> Shack facts at all. Uh, (laughs) I will do uh, I can't do it uh, like last year I did do a complete pun commentary for Mega Man Dr. Wily's revenge which was a lot of fun so yeah maybe we'll see something coming up like that again (laughs) (laughs) all right but now the moment everybody has been waiting for the past i don't know how long this episode has been running but it is time for the weekly price question so um the question for this week i will say that shortly but um you can enter this contest you can send us um the answers to this question and you might win a prize which we will announce the winner for next time so this week's question is what is the name of the final boss in solar striker and here's what you have to do to enter this contest you have to send a yellow postcard to 3699 dmg street 74221 monochrome city let me repeat that (laughs) 3699 dmg street 74221 monochrome city (laughs) Um, so, yellow postcard, you know how it works, just send it in, we'll review every answer we get, and we will maybe pick your game as a winner next episode.
0: <laughs> we have a physical address?
1: No, but they don't know that. Oh.
0: <laughs> so yeah, guys, um, we're wrapping up this episode of Sol- Of This is Game Boy featuring Solar Striker. Um... As always, any thoughts, feedback, suggestions by you guys is always accepted. Um, we definitely look and um, love to hear from you guys. Like all this, you know, from varying from, hey, this podcast was fantastic or, hey, this podcast was crap. This is what you need to do to do better. Like we, we read it all. We take everything into consideration and we try to make every episode a bit better for all of you. Um so where you, where you can find us? You can find us on SoundCloud. Um, I don't know the exact URL anymore, but we have a SoundCloud. We're now having RSS feed for the podcast on Stitcher. Um, I believe we're on iTunes now. Potentially, um, you can find me, e Candy, candy, uh, at Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, just by typing in e Candy. candy, um, you can find my boy Mo here. Um, I know his account is Moolah, O M O E L L E U H on Twitch, but I'll let him shout out his Twitter and YouTube since I don't remember off top of my head.
1: Yeah, so my Twitter is at uh, Nostalgamia. Uh, my YouTube channel is the same, it's M-O-E-L-L-E-U-H, uh, Moolah, um, do not think about the UNDH at the end. It's, it's just because some German guy always has Mühle, Um So I always have to figure out something else. Um, and SoundCloud, it's kind of hard to say at this point because we do not have a pro account on that yet. So we, we have like a SoundCloud slash user dash zero seven five seven you know you can definitely find us
0: just search yeah yeah you can search for (laughs) us
1: with this is game boy or just uh look through it through stitcher or um itunes itself so that that might be a little bit easier at this point but in the future we will try to get a pro account with actual (laughs) soundcloud slash this is game boy for sure
0: yeah and if you're ever looking for more game boy content on on the Twitch, um, there is a Game Boy community out there where you're supposed to stream Game Boy games to it. But you know, sometimes you know Game Boy streamers will play some other things. <laughs> I never do that. Um, I I don't. Nah, do that nah, never all. happens. Um, never. um, but if you're also looking for a, a Game Boy specific team, we have Monochrome City. Um, so Twitch.tv/slash was it Team/slash Monochrome City or there's Twitch.tv/slash Monochrome City. Um. So every once in a while, we'll be on there for like retro achievement, just like a little series that we put together. So uh, definitely tune into that, follow that, check out, check all of us out. We have a, we have a eight person, 10 person team, something like that now. So slowly growing um, and getting some, some Game Boy games out there.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure we put uh, some links in the description of this podcast where you can find a lot of stuff. So uh, we'll make sure to do that as well.
0: So yeah guys, next time on This Is Game Boy, we go hang out with Max.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to sing anymore because Lex didn't appreciate my singing during my intro recording. So I guess I'm just going to not do that anymore. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.